I also invite you to, I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you that you continue to speak to us through these words from the Beatitudes, where you show us a path uh, not often taken of blessedness and happiness. Help continue to speak a word to us today that we might embody your love in the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, this is uh, coming up on one of our last uh, sermons in our series. We have uh, next week and then the week after that, we're going to kind of move in preparation for Lent time. And we've covered some ground together about this passage in the Bible that is called the Beatitudes. It's part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. He begins his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, but he really kind of unfolds his agenda in this uh, long, multiple chapter section within the Gospel of Matthew that we call the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up on the mountainside and he teaches all of these amazing teachings that have really become almost what some would argue as the heart of some of Jesus's teaching in this. And he begins it with these phrases blessed are those. And we've talked for a little bit that it's not just blessed, because we don't really always understand what that word means, but he also means happy, whole, that this is the sort of life that we ought to live, because when we live that life, we feel the goodness in ourselves, we feel the goodness of God, that blessedness or happiness. Except for it's very different than the sort of happiness that we try to pursue. We began by talking about how blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those people who don't think that they have their life together, that feel uh, the sense of poverty both as a person and perhaps even realistically within their life and their resources, that blessed and happy are those that are poor. We also talked about blessed are the sad the people who mourn, the people who are willing to go to the dark places and be there, just like the song that we sang, Tremble, to go to the darkness and to be there. And then this week, we're going to be talking about blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that word to me is kind of an obscure word, but I'm going to tell you a little side story. It has to do with where I came up of the word peacemakers. Because whenever I think of that phrase, I can't help but think of the sport that I grew up playing, which is hockey, because I grew up in Minnesota, the state of hockey. So I know it's foreign to some of us that grew up in Hawaii, but you know, I reminded you it's the game with the stick and the you know, blades on their feet, and they play that. And probably more obscure to some of you is when you turn on a hockey game, you know, I forget the name of the comedian that said, I went to a fight the other day and a hockey game broke out. Have you ever heard that phrase? Um, so, because the idea is that they would just, like, they fight all the time, right? Like, so if you watch a hockey game, I remember playing, like, NHL 94 when I was in elementary school, and I would, like, love the moment when the players would break out in a fight on the little Sega Genesis, and it was just, like, the coolest moment, right? And when we were growing up playing hockey, the thing that we always talked about, it was just, like, the, like, the sagas or the legacies, whatever you call them, was the, the times when the fights broke out. Yeah, you can't believe it. The goalies even got into it, right? They, like, skated across the rink, and they just started going after each other and it was just like so cool and like aggressive and like kind of that's what we think of sometimes when we think of hockey and and so if you turn on the tv and you say to yourself like what is this sport where they get to like just all of a sudden start breaking into fights and the refs just watch them right you know don't be alarmed that you know that i was not understanding that as well even though i was in the moment and i was really excited about it and i loved it it, it, from an outside perspective 
it was either one of two things, like really exciting because you just want to see a fight, or really obscure because this is a sports game that they're fighting. It wasn't until later on when I was in college and I would go back and I would visit my buddies who were playing D1 hockey that I actually found out, did you know that there is a strategy for fighting? Did you know that? Actually, fighting in hockey serves a purpose, multiple purposes. One is just to like amp up your team, right? So if you go out there and you fight and you like rally your team and then, you know, all of a sudden your team has this energy that make it the goal, you might be able to do this thing. But when you think about the people that fight, it's always the same guys, right? And they're, you know, the, the big guys, the burly ones. You just think of like the persona that they might be is just always aggressive. But come to find out and meeting some of the hockey players that were the fighters on the team, they actually weren't always that. Yeah, sure, they were big and they were strong, but more than anything to the team, they were the peacemakers, the peacemakers, that they were the ones that kept the peace. Because the, one of the main roles of a fighter in hockey is to take out the guy that just knocked out your star player, right? And to keep them in line. You know, because you got a stick that you're running around with and you can hack at people's wrists and you can do some damage with it. And so one of the goals of a fight is for the fighter literally to keep the other team in line. Say, hey, that was out of bounds. Or if there was like a cheap shot on the other player, I mean, you guarantee what's gonna happen when someone gets really hurt and it was like a cross check right to the chest, it was just totally illegal, you can't do that. But cross check is the fighter will get out of the box and he will pick a fight with that player that did it. They were the peacemakers. And they often weren't the ones that were just like, you know, going out there to try to fight because they loved to fight. You know, when I was a kid, it was like the cool thing. I mean, it happened, right? But it, they served a purpose for what they were trying to do. And I, and I use that phrase because that's, the, I think, one of the only ways that I can kind of wrap my mind around the way in which those in antiquity would have heard the word peacemakers. Because, mind you, that during the time of Jesus and during the time of the readers of this gospel, it was known as the Pax Romana, right, within the empire of Rome. Rome had finished its wars with, you know, the North Africa and Hannibal and all of that stuff and had moved around and they'd made their way down to Egypt. And so they had created this vast empire. It was about 27 years before the birth of Christ, or before when we transitioned from B.C. to A.D. And it was a time known as the peace of Rome. Except if you were not Roman, you would not necessarily have seen it as the peace, right? Just like if you were on the other hockey team and the peacemaker from their team came and put you in check, right? Because Rome was not known for being very peaceful, even during its Pax Romana. Hence, our greatest symbol of our faith is the torture tool that they used for the people that got out of line, the cross. Rome knew how to keep the peace, and the way it kept the peace was through its force that it instilled on its people. It was the burly, huge hockey player that came in and made sure everyone got in line in accordance with it. I mean, if you just want to see what the world that they had lived in, the readers of the Gospel of Matthew, around the time, you may have heard of the Great Fire of Rome. Maybe, maybe not. I, I have heard of it. But the Great Fire of Rome was set by one of the kind of chain of the emperors that followed Augustus Caesar, who began Pax Romana, and his name was Nero. And they often talk about him as 
crazy Nero because he was just that. He literally lit in 64 AD a giant portion of Rome on fire, and then he blamed it on the Jews, <laughs> who happened to also be the Christians. So when we talk about Christian persecution, it oftentimes happened during that era because this emperor burnt down most of the city and then blamed it on the Jews, who happened to also be the Christians, and the Christians happened to be the weird Jews that like met in the catacombs and like ate the body of Christ and gave their brothers and sisters kisses because they gave the kiss of Christ to one another. So the Christians were the more persecuted even on top of the Jews. And then the Jews were not happy about this, obviously, and so the Jews decided that they're going to start doing something about this, that they're going to kind of rise up against this imperial force that's over them. And they started talking, and they started, you know, uh, you know plotting about how they were going to free themselves from Rome. And in fact, if you ever read the book of James, where James talks about bridling your tongue and being careful what you talk about, I believe that James is 100% trying to convince the Christians to not revolt against Rome. Don't get involved in that madness. It won't end well for you. And that's exactly what happened. It didn't end well. Because you may know that the Jewish temple in Jerusalem came down in 70 AD. Not too long after Nero burnt most of Rome and then the Jews tried to revolt, the peacemakers came in. And they were having none of it, period. They weren't going to take a rising. They weren't going to take this people thinking that they were their own. The power of Rome was that they let you do your own religion, sometimes even speak your own language. But if you step out of line, they would correct it. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they will be children of God. Children of God. Anyone hearing that phrase, my guess, would have thought, yes, we finally got the guy with the big guns, right? The big muscles that's going to take out Rome. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God, and we're going to make the kingdom of God happen here and now, finally. We can do this thing. That was the expectation that all people in Jerusalem had of this guy named Jesus when he said that he would be the Messiah. That he would be the Messiah. Except for, I think Jesus had something totally different in mind. In fact, I don't think I know Jesus had something totally different in mind. Because when they heard the peacemakers, they also forgot every other blessing that he put upon people before. Blessed are the poor, the merciful. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, also writes elsewhere that we must have the same minds that was in Jesus. It's from Philippians, and he says, to not be the king, but to be a servant. Because that's what it meant for Jesus to be the peacekeeper, was not to make the peace, like the Romans did, or, you know, the fighter in hockey does. But it was to be the peace, which is very different to be the peace. 
Because one of the things that I, I encounter, I don't do counseling. I'm not a counselor. I have been trained in little bits of it to be able to tell you you should go see a counselor, right? Uh, because that's just not my field. I do theology and I talk about Nero and do all those things. But in working with couples and kind of identifying whether it's premarital counseling or when they come in moments of tired, being tired or distressed, one of the most challenging things when couples face turmoil is the phrase I just said. It's not about being a peacemaker in your relationship. It's about learning to be the peace in the relationship. There's a writer who wrote a book called Anatomy of Peace. And when he talks about the change needed to usher in peace within conflicts like in Palestine and Jerusalem, it needs to first come from within. That we as the individuals, must be willing to change ourselves. And if we are not, we probably won't find the peace that we are looking for. That we must be willing to change. And it's the analogy like this, like, we'll come at each other and come at each other, and without one person, at least, in a relationship, whether it's an intimate relationship, or even a conflict with a coworker or nations. Unless one person is willing to start acknowledging their culpability in the conflict, rarely do I think it will resolve. And that's not to say that the conflicts can't be so great that there's a divide and you just will never agree on the situation but we have to be willing to allow that change and that peace in us first. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will what? Do you remember that phrase from last week? They will be given mercy. Blessed are the merciful because they will be given mercy. And saying you're sorry <laughs> can go a long way to that. But not just saying you're sorry, but acknowledging how we played a role in that. And how we want to mend this relationship. And the Apostle Paul was no kind of fool to, or no like newcomer to trying to bring together those who are divided. I mean, he is literally talking about two people becoming one humanity because in the worldview of any ancient Jew, they saw themselves as Jewish and not. In fact, they had a word for that, Gentile. That wasn't like a region, if you didn't know that. It was like literally everyone else outside of God's chosen people, the Jews. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And it came with all sorts of, and I've talked about this before, that came with all sorts of lifestyle differences that they honestly could not see how they could be together. Like the Jews had this belief that they would be raised from the dead. And the uh, Gentiles, who were the Romans, were like, okay, I don't believe in walk, walk of the dead or wake of the dead or whatever the zombie movies are. Like they didn't believe it because like, they literally thought the beliefs of the Jews were like zombie folklore, like who are these people that we're supposed to hang out with? And then the Jews were like, who are these people? They like live lifestyles that are completely, completely and utterly wrong. 
They eat the food they're not supposed to eat. They dress in ways that they weren't supposed to dress. They use Roman money and they, you know, participate in the Roman system that is our oppression. They could not be more different from each other. And I wrote a, a, a really, <laughs> really intricate exegetical paper when I was in, uh, at Duke Divinity School. An exegetical paper is kind of like a, a research paper on the Bible. And I wrote it on this phrase, this like phrase that Paul had in the book of Corinth when he was working with this divide. And it was super fascinating because the more you dig into the language that Paul was using and the more, you know, you see the nuances to the groups that he was talking about, you would think that Paul would be like kind of like one way or the other. Like he'd be like, okay, Jews, I got this. I'll like tell them to be okay. And then like just chastise the Gentiles and be like, you guys are crazy. You can't do those things. The law says you can't do it, right? You'd think he would do that. Or you'd think he would go the other way and just say, oh, these are just a bunch of backwoods, like, you know, rural peasants with their zombie folklore. Just, just deal with them, you know, like you'd be one or the other. But instead he spends time kind of helping both acknowledge that they're wrong, helping both see that there is faults in their own theology and their own practice as well. And so there's this like small little section that most of us would read that it would be like, go way over our heads and be like, what the heck is Paul talking about? About like raising from the people, raising from the dead and like going on to inherit this spot in the kingdom. And we read it and we're like, oh, what is this? But it's actually Paul working with these two divides and affirming the Jewish belief of these resurrection of the dead, while at the same time affirming the Corinthians, who happened to be the Gentiles, that they were still okay with some of the practices they had. And so his phrase to them was that we must be one in the body of Christ. And his phrase to all of his churches was this, that we must be one in the body of Christ. And the differences that we had must die within us so that we might live as one. Blessed are the peacemakers who are willing to let pieces of themselves die so that we might be one. Jesus calls us to that. But before we go, this, I'm almost pile. But before we finish completely, there's one piece that I think that we sometimes kind of overlook. And that is when we, Paul talks about this new humanity, that blessed, you know, coming together. Blessed are the peacekeepers. If you're in a relationship where this is going awry or you're in a conflict, it does not mean that you must lose yourself and your identity completely and conform to the other. In fact, that's not what Paul does. Because remember, I said he affirms both in who they are. The Gentiles can stay Gentiles and the Jews can stay Jews, but somehow we find a way to work together. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing this month is that Daniel is just a, a rich book of music, especially mu music that's, you know, within the black culture and context. And being that February is Black History Month, we're going to be uh, you know, displaying different music that is created by black musicians and whether it's from Africa or America. And that is important because when we come together as the body of Christ, we don't all become the same. We maintain our differences. 
And when we gather around the table, we gather around, as the apostle says, male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, and free, that we all find our seats at the table and we can all be ourselves at the table. And that's pretty and joyful and a great picture of drawing the circle wide. But the difficulty is, are you willing to be the peacemaker? Not the hockey version or the Roman version. That's the easy way. Are you willing to be the one willing to change? To allow other to be different? To work with them? so that you can both eat together with God. I'll leave us with that question. And as we look throughout the world, certainly we can look for the need for peacemakers, right? Let us go and be those that Jesus calls us to, because then we will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers.